0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, good afternoon to those of you on the East Coast. Welcome to Radio 5G. This is Michael Henry Dunn with my esteemed colleague, Nancy L. Hopkins. Good morning, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm doing, Michael. I'm doing. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, you don't want to – they tell us we don't want to be a human doing. We want to be a human being.
1: <laughs> right well I'm I, I'm doing trying to be to try to be ah. you know I mean well like... like
0: Frank Sinatra said, do be do be
1: do you know <laughs> I don't you think gotta... I'll quote him <laughs> <laughs>
0: right yeah, somebody goes, you know Sartre says to be is to do and Descartes says to think is to do and the Sinatra says do be do be do you know <laughs> I'm going with blue eyes. Anyway, welcome everybody. Uh, We've got a really interesting show for you today. Uh, We are going to be sharing with you um, a um, recording of this rather remarkable woman, Bibi Bacchus of uh, the New Earth University, uh, regarding um, a curriculum that – she has developed on the the use of the Uniform Commercial Code, uh, the UCC, um, and how to own your straw man. Let me share with you a little bit about her background. Um, this is from um, her website at uh, Newworth University um, slash News. Slash new hyphen UCC hyphen own hyphen your hyphen strawman hyphen workshop. Anyway, you can find it at Newworth University. Um, UCC Law again—that's Uniform Commercial Code. It is the highest expression of law as it is commonly manifested in the world, meaning to say, the basis upon which all contracts exist. Contracts both visible and invisible between people of the world and the corporation, governments. Again, she uses, um, parentheses, corporation agencies, corporation banks, and corporation institutions to which commandeer and govern our lives and livelihoods. Note that she doesn't say which control, but which commandeer, which, uh, of course, is a verb meaning to... Kind of unilaterally take over sometimes you know with or without um, authentic authority, under color of law, etc. Uh, so she goes on. The UCC also overarches and underpins the codes of exchange be, between all agencies, governments, and institutions between and amongst themselves. All human affairs are thereby governed by such contracts which are made, assumed, or foisted. Upon them. Um, So again, this is you know this is about um, systems of control that have attained legal force that a lot of us don't even know about and have not actually consented to. Uh, This is me talking, not not um, her website. Back to her website. Once humankind awakens to UCC law and learns how not to contract how to revoke contracts and how to rescind and redact signatures and subjugation to the fictions, then we will be rid of the covert systems of control and manipulation, parentheses enslavement, which we all seek to be freed from. So um, so here's a little background on, on the woman we're about to um, to hear from. Uh, Bibi Bacchus was sentenced to eight years in prison for a crime which was manufactured to entrap her. She did not roll over and die, which the corrupt police and judiciary expected of her. Instead, she studied the highest expression of international law, the UCC, and came out after seven years and two months knowing exactly how the rigged system is committing fraud and treason against seven billion souls on earth. Bibi is on the faculty at Worth University's School of Natural Law, devoted to sharing these seminal teachings with the sovereign people of our world. And this is Bibi Bacchus in her own words. She says, um, I am 72 years of age. My permanent abode is in the UK. I lived in the Republic of Florida for several years. My profession was a nurse in London since 1970, good standing. I sold real estate in Florida for 18 years, also in good standing. Never had any problems with the law, not even a speeding ticket. Paid my taxes, worked two jobs. As a realtor, I was selling approximately 25 houses per month. Wow, (laughs) that's astonishing. Um, And was a good little borrower. I have a wonderful supportive husband, two beautiful children. We've always been close family and never drank alcohol or smoked in my entire life. When I was 54 years old, my whole life turned upside down when an IRS agent and a local detective walked into my office and asked me to go to court lying about a customer I sold a house to. I refused. That's when my nightmare began. I was set up and sent to prison for eight years. The person I sold the property to never testified. I vowed to find out how they could do this. So for seven years and two months in prison, I spent every day studying how they did this to me and my family. With the help of my family, I was able to get information on research and I studied the UCC and the law I was tried under. It is quite amazing what fraud is being done to billions of people all over the world. I love my family, but I was deported back to London. And for the past 18 years, we have been separated. I cannot be there if they are sick. For birthdays or holidays, this breaks my heart. After studying the UCC and putting it into practice, the judge deported me under a different name. He stated on the deportation document, I failed to acknowledge my name, so he deported me. All he needs to get paid is for me to acknowledge my name so I can contract, and he would get paid. I refused. I told him if he did not have my name, I should not be in his military courtroom. So that is... um, you know, B.B. Bacchus' uh, background in her own words. And now, Nancy, do you want to share with us a little bit about what we're about to hear?
1: Well, um, this is Sasha Stone, who we know. He's, he's a, a worldwide activist and he's been on this show. We've been with him a couple of times. Um, and I just was like, well, first off, Sasha was there, so I paid attention. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm going, yeah. like, who is he? who was he interviewing? Because he doesn't waste his time. And, oh, my gosh, I mean, it was like I knew the basics of what she was talking. I've talked about military or admiralty law, why Why we're not in a republic under the Constitution that was created by the founders, that we're under a Constitution that is actually a business document and a way of doing business, and it's not the Constitution in the essence of common man having rights, because under admiralty law, you you don't have any rights. Um, So, but the details and the the story, I mean, it scared the crap out of me that they could do this to her and others, you know, this is, she, you know, but um, I just, in her own words, she's going to uh, give you, uh, I thought it was a, a really, really good presentation in 40 minutes but a really good presentation of the whole scenario of you know just stand back and look at the at the game board we're in and so i'm hoping my my recommendation is just listen to the story think of it as a story don't try to follow and think of it as legal cuz you'll get lost you know because it's because it, your mind is going to fight what she's saying because it doesn't sound even like could this possibly be? You don't want to believe her. So just think of it as a story. Okay? Fiction or otherwise, but just a story. And that's, that's my recommendation, having listened to it a couple times. Okay? Okay.
0: Sounds good. So we'll, we'll now be listening to B.B. Um, Bacchus being interviewed by Satcha Stone.
2: The straw man is uh, your name written in block letters. Very simple. It was done at birth. What the, the government did, or the corporations now, not government, what they did is they took your birth certificate and made a second birth certificate with a trust, a CISTI qv trust. They made it in all block letters. For them to interact with you, they have to interact with you as a fiction. Because they're all cooperations. Cooperation cannot interact with real people. So they made a straw man. They call it a straw man because it has no soul and is spiritually dead.
3: So let's break this down. You're born in the hospital room. A certificate of live birth is issued.
2: What happens is that she has to register the child's birth. She has to go to the registration office and register. If she does not register, she will be taken to court to what the law is saying. They take the birth certificate that she registered as an informant, informant them that she has the child, and they made a duplicate in all black letters. She didn't, they did. So they turned the living child, child. Now into, into a trust. A into a fiction. Trust,
3: yes. Which has a, a, a certain value allocated to it. Value, yes. Millions of dollars or pounds. And that, that trust, let's call it a bond. Um, Because that effectively becomes traded thereafter.
2: Yes, it becomes warehouse bond for money.
3: So every human being that has been registered to the state or the crown by the mother ends up becoming some kind of a bond that is traded on the
2: stock market. Yes. Without you ever knowing it. Yes, without disclosing. And they... This has happened since the early 1900s. What they've done is really fraud because they're fraudulently taking your child's birth certificate and make it into a dead entity. The dead entity birth certificate is making billions of pounds or dollars, depends on which country you're in. So your straw man is considered a dead entity and the corporation can interact with it. If you have to go to court, it's not going to be in your real name because they don't have it. All they have is the dead entity, and they interact with that.
3: So who is reaping the rewards of the value of your bond as it's being traded? Uh,
2: I would say the, the Federal Reserve, which belongs to the royal family, and the HMRC, IRS. These are the people where your money goes once you are registered. The mother register you, that's where the money goes, to them.
3: Okay, Okay. let's talk about the difference between your signature and your autograph.
2: Okay, a signature is under the UCC, which is um, the fiction, the straw man. Your autograph is the real person. So if you go up to a movie star and says, can I have your autograph? You never say, can I have your signature? It's always autograph because you have flesh and blood. Signature is what you're signing every time they can go into your account and take money. And every
3: time you do sign a piece of paper, you can bet that that signature of yours is being monetized, securitized. It is.
2: It is. It is. By the banks, by everybody that you, wherever you sign, credit cards, everything that you sign, they get in Funds of your trust fund from that birth certificate.
3: Okay, so fees and all sorts of things, and invisible costs are being discharged against your birth fund in that sense. Yes. Without you ever knowing about without it.
2: Without you ever knowing about it, yes. You, it was never disclosed to you. All the stuff was done without disclosing, and it's deception, it's fraud, and it's it's happening every day to everyone that's outside the inner circle.
3: Okay, let's talk about the court system, because invariably your signatures lead you into a courtroom at some point, you know, whether it's for, and, and under the aegis of the court system, whether it's a marriage, a birth, a death, a registration of land, whatever. So we understand a little about the distinction between the signature and the autograph. What exactly is a court of law?
2: Well, at the moment we don't have a court of law. We have a, a color of law which is fiction. So when you go into a court system here or in America, you walk into a system where there is no law. So it is lawless. So when you go in there and you speak to somebody doing business as a judge, there is no judge. You could ask the judge to see his oath. He doesn't have one. He's a
3: cashier.
2: Yeah, he's a banker. A banker. Yes. So when you sign any papers in the court, that's when he gets paid, out of your QV trust on your birth certificate. That's where he gets the money. If you go into the court, you still lose because it is not a court of law for you. In a situation like that, when
3: should you use your signature and sign something and when shouldn't you? There is a
2: special way of, under the UCC, we go back to that, there's a special way of signing without responsibility for your signature. So that if you sign in the special way according to the UCC, you're not responsible for anything that's on the paper.
3: Okay. Now, for the layman, describe UCC. What are we talking about? Okay. What is the UCC?
2: The UCC is a set of codes that was set up over 100 years ago by lawyers. And with the Uniform Commercial Code comes contract law. It's all to do with contracts. So we are not under any law, we're just under contract. Anybody could, someone could call you up and says, oh, would you like to contract with me to, to get a TV license or to get something that you need, and you contract. Telephone, everything is contract, everything. And under the UCC, you do not have to sign. A stamp signature or a typed-up signature is considered sign under the UCC. So when you get a letter in the mail and it has no signature, um, or it just has a stamp signature, then it is considered signed. The UCC is very, very important for people to learn about what's going on with their lives because we are on the contract law, no other law. There is no law at all. In America, the court system is operated under military. When you walk into a courtroom, I don't, I don't care which courtroom, if it's a higher court or a lower court, they're under the military. Now, you're walking in there, and you're not a military member, and you're not told that you've been tried under the military. If you mention the Constitution, the judge says, it does not apply in my courtroom. But you don't know what he's saying, because you don't know what they're doing to you when you're there.
3: And all of that language is designed to confuse the hell out of you.
2: Yes, it's designed under the UCC, and they know. They know what they're doing, and they know how to uh, manipulate you. So you're all
3: judges are very schooled and versed in UCC? Yes. They're taken to special training yes. schools in order to learn this?
2: Yeah, they. The president appoints all the federal judges in America. And, he, and they go to Scottsdale, Arizona, and Reno, Nevada, to train how to apply this fraud contract in the courtroom. And in the United Kingdom? The United Kingdom. Majority of the judges here in the United Kingdom are not judges. They're just doing business. They might be a retired lawyer. They're doing business as judge.
3: And yeah, so called so judges in, in Malawi and in Canada...
2: All of them, exactly the same system, they're under the UCC.
3: Okay, um, I want to talk about some mundane issues. Who owns your car?
2: The DVLA in England. In the United Kingdom? Yes. Uh, Department of Vehicle, Vehicle Licensing, Licensing right. Agency. Okay. Yes. Well, the DVLA owns the car. It tells you on your registration, you are not the owner, you are just the registered keeper. Now, if you look up Register Keeper, it says the person who is responsible for taking care of the vehicle, pay the taxes, pay the license, pay the insurance, and take care of it. But the DVLA could take it from you anytime they feel like. Crush it. They could clamp it.
3: Because once you've registered it, you've handed it over, over to the to crown the, of the state. That's right, yes. It's no longer yours.
2: It's not yours, never.
3: So, again... When you buy a car, you are invited to defraud yourself by then handing it over to the crown of the state, unwittingly.
2: Yes, because it's, it's fraud, and they're committing this fraud, and they're not letting you know what they're doing. They make millions, hundreds of millions. The highway belongs to us. It says you have to pay to drive on the road. You don't. The DVLA is just a cooperation set up by the crown. All these cooperations are set up by the crown. The HMRC, the DVLA, they all do the same thing. So if you look carefully at your registration, it tells you right there. And in
3: the United States of America, uh, it's not the DVLA. What, what's the equivalent?
2: It's the Department of Motor Vehicles.
3: And again, they invite you to okay. hand the, yes. register the vehicle to them. Yes. They become the owner.
2: They become the owner. The only reason to have a license when you drive a car is if you're doing taxi service or doing it for business. But if you're driving for your personal use, going to work, going to the market, take your family out, going on vacation, that you don't require a license.
3: There is no law that requires no. you. You can move about the surface of the earth unmolested. Yes. That's, that's law.
2: That is the law. Yes, that is the law. But that's not what they're But these used. fictions,
3: these costumes, these people wielding batons and guns and tasers, they've somehow uh, been given license by the government to apprehend you, arbitrarily stop and search you, terrorize you, rip you out of your vehicle. Who gave the traffic enforcement officers the right to stop and apprehend people going
2: about their God-given business? The corporations that they're under. The police are not constables. And the Queen took an oath to represent the sovereign people, which she's not doing. She's now a corporation herself. So the police is is under-corporate. They're not constables. Constables are the people who that beats the street and and get to know your neighborhood and speak to the people. Keeps the peace. Keeps the peace, yes. But they're not constables. They're corporate police. If you call a police officer and you know whose side they're on, if you call a police officer and a bailiff is at your door... They will tell you they cannot come because it's a civil matter. But if the bailiff calls them, they will come. That means that they're not working for you, period. They're They're working working for the parent corporation. They're they're working for the corporation, yes. They're corporate police.
3: How many of the police do you think know this and understand this distinction?
2: I think 90%. Do you really? I do.
3: I do. In the United States and in India? And here,
2: yes. Yes, 90% of the police know they're not. They're corporate police.
3: But surely, surely, then, they understand that they are in serious breach of their their foundational oath, and they should thereby surely understand that the Queen of England is in serious breach of her coronation oath, which requires her to intervene if her Parliament or government is conducting any cruel and unusual punishments against the people. And it's my understanding that being stopped going about your business in the street and dragged out of your vehicle and beaten with a baton, for whatever reason, that to me, by definition, is cruel and unusual punishment.
2: Okay, but they're given that permission to do that by the the cooperation they're in. They are given. If they were not given that permission, they could not have done that. They could not drag you out of your car or molest you or take you to the station for no reason. But it's
3: not a law that gives them the rights, a statute, it's a technocratic Uh, words on paper, statutes that have allowed them contractually to go ahead and beat the citizenry, right? Yes. But but it's not lawful. No, it's not. It's entirely unlawful.
2: It's legal and it's fraud. Fraudulent activities. And they're being backed up by their corporate headquarters. So you cannot win because there's always somebody there to protect them, and they know that.
3: So let's drill down into this. A policeman is there and should be able to respond to a living soul doing injury against another living soul. If they witness that, they have every right to intervene. In the same way that you and I can conduct a citizen's arrest. If we see that somebody's being harmed, we should step in and try to intervene. But that's really as far as it goes. They have no business trying to commercialize human beings and penalize us for walking across streets or for not stopping at an amber light or whatever. All of that stuff is just nonsense, dreamt up by the corporation. It is. Yes,
2: it is. It's all fraud. The Uniform Commercial Code and contract law and how these people operate, they go into the court and they do the same thing. You tell them, don't. even if you don't go into the court... They still find you for the same thing as if you go into the court. But if you go into the court and the police takes you there, then ne- you never win unless you know the law. And they know that you do not know the contract law and that you're on the contract and you're walking into a trap. You go in there and the police or whoever is going in there with you, it's always they're the ones who win. You never win. Let's, for instance, say you're driving down the street, you have not hurt anyone, and you got stopped by the police. And the police breathalizes you and says, I have to take you in or I have to fine you. Or, or, or both of those. Who did you hurt? Who did you hurt? Who are you going to be paying this money to? You didn't hurt anyone. There's no victim. There's no victim. You have to be a victim. Under the common law... For there to be a crime. For there to be a crime. It's It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that, because to give you a ticket, or to book you and take you to the station, who did you hurt? There is no one that you have hurt. That's
3: just a commercial penalty. It is a
2: commercial penalty.
3: Okay, so we're getting the picture here that the the court systems, the justice system, the policing system, uh, all of these systems are designed to commercialize, securitize, commercialize human beings harvest them monetarily
2: yes right yes.
3: very very little of that expenditure that energy is goes towards keeping the peace
2: oh none of it goes towards none. keeping the peace they don't keep the peace all they do is make what they do they, they create the problem and then they find a the solution
3: and then sell you that solution yes and then penalize you if you don't accept the solution that's right right sounds like a very rigged casino to me rotten to the core It is. And it seems to me that the average human being um, would, if they understood this, would utterly reject this system. Of course. If they understood it. Of course. But of course most people are completely indentured to it. Yes. Are mind controlled. Yes. Reading the newspapers, watching the television, and repeating verbatim the bullshit that's talked to them. Yes. So the truth is, it seems to me that human beings are not predisposed toward hurting one another. We don't enjoy going to war. No. We don't enjoy hurting no. each other.
2: Yes. In the main,
3: most people get along and just want to get along.
2: Of course.
3: But the systems conspire yes. with a model of scarcity economics and yes. drive war and disease and poverty.
2: Of course. That's the only way they can make money. When, did, when this uh, prime minister said she's going to give $300 billion to the to the common market, where do you think she's getting the money? Not from your wages. That you pay taxes on. That's a different set of money. She gets it from your trust fund, from your birth certificate. That's where they get the money to build the roads and do everything you could think of. So
3: they're discharging billions and billions and billions of dollars against our birth bonds without ever disclosing that to her, without there ever being an audit or any accounting for it.
2: Of course, because nobody's asking. Right. And even if you do ask, they give you a hard time to tell you about it.
3: If you try to go and, and, and discover your own birth bond, let's call it that, and you try to discover the true value, how does one go about doing that?
2: You apply to the Federal Reserve for it. There's forms that you can fill in, and you can once you find the bonds and the serial numbers, you can get it from the Federal Reserve, because they have it.
3: And you can then discover the value of your bond? Of course. And the average, let's say, 50-year-old in the, in the United States would be worth what?
2: A 50-year-old in the United States, it could be worth hundreds of millions. But one comment: if you go on the the website and you put in your uh, birth certificate number, and it comes up, only one. You have hundreds of thousands of people are trading on it. Right. That's only one that you know
3: of. I think what I'm getting at is what do you think it would be the median value of the average 50-year-old by the time they turn 50 in the United States? What has been traded?
2: I would say... I would say... Maybe a billion, over a billion, has been traded. Okay. Because when I checked, um, on one of of my numbers, is over 283,000 people are trading on it. Can you imagine how much money that is?
3: So when we hear that the U.S. has a debt of $23 trillion or whatever it is, uh, that fictitious money was all pumped out of the air But effectively, it was discharged against the value of Of, the people. Yes. Right. So that's where the fiction emerges. Yes. And it becomes this huge imbalance that no one quite understands how on earth do we get that much money.
2: They just made it up as they go along and tell us what they want to tell us. Yes, but
3: they'll validate the making up of that money by, on paper, discharging it against the value Value. of
2: the citizenry. And the citizen's gold, our sovereign gold. We have gold. For every pound that you, you, if you weigh eight pounds at birth, you have eight pounds of gold set aside for you.
3: Assigned to you by whom? By the Crown. In England. Yes. And in the United States. Yes. By the Treasury. Yes. And th- Be-
2: because the United States is owned by by the, the Crown. Let, let's. <laughs> okay.
3: Um, so let's say there's two hundred odd nations of the world. There's hundreds and hundreds of small island states, but there's about two hundred. Nation states, big nation states. They are all of them a franchise of the Anglo American Corporation. Yes. Let's call it that. Yes. And that, the Anglo American Corporation is an extension of the British Crown. Crown, yes. And the British Crown is collateralized by what,
2: or backed by what? Gold. And by the people. The hundreds of millions of people. The British Empire has just went on the ground. It's still there.
3: Controls the Bank of International Settlements, controls all the reserve banks around the world. Yes, yes. Correct, correct. So So at what point do you believe the world sees through this grotesque fiction and then addresses the source code and then writes
2: it? I think if people get to know what the UCC and the contract law does and their straw... Your straw man is your main problem once you can control your straw man and it is yours and not theirs anymore then you're in the right this is beautiful
3: what you just said you're talking about reclaiming the fiction that was established yes the false light yes reclaiming the false light that was established in your name yes given your identity so to speak at birth yes without your knowledge yes you're talking about us needing to reclaim that false light and step into ourselves, our true selves,
2: yeah.
3: as a people of the world,
2: yes. in order to
3: reclaim reality from yes. the fiction. Yes, That's powerful.
2: Yes, it is. And that's what I think everyone needs to do. All the sovereign people that's in poverty and whatever they put us in, that's what we need to do. We need to reclaim that, what they are making money on. That is ours. Then you wouldn't have... Wars, you wouldn't have people fighting for money, you wouldn't have poor people. Everybody will be okay, everybody. But they do not want you to. If you do that, that will break down their system, and they do not want that. So once you know, you need to get into it, and you need to start reclaiming. your straw man. It is yours.
3: Now, Bibi, you learned all of this. The hard way. You were sitting in your office in the United States running a very successful real estate business a number of years ago. Very successful. Selling 20 to 30 properties every month. Yes. You had a lot of your own properties. You were living there with your family. Yes. Life was good. Yes. And into your office walked a corrupt policeman and an IRS Uh agent. Yes. And these gentlemen effectively uh, put you on the spot. Told you that there was a uh, one of your clients that you were selling a house to was a drug dealer. Yes. And uh, which you had no idea. Yes. A, you know, how, how would you know? And uh, they effectively then tried to pin this uh, a crime onto you by suggesting that you were effectively uh, receiving um, laundered, laundered funds. Funds. Yes. And out of the blue, your life turned into some grotesque horror story. You, you were dragged into court, yes. and the next thing, you were put in prison for eight years. Yes. Your life destroyed. Yes. And that was where you learned yes. law. Tell us about this.
2: Well, when I was uh, when I went to trial, and I, I thought, well, how could they do this? I have shown for 10 years my bank statements so they see that I had no money no money was laundered by me the gentleman I sold the property to brought five thousand dollars of his own money and he got a loan from the bank for the difference and the bank loan officer testified at my trial but I end up in prison and I wondered how they did it I thought well there has to be something that I've missed. I saw in the courtroom is was uh, What was displayed? It was all acting Like everybody like we were in a, a theater and they were acting and and I was the victim of, Yes, the, the, the lawyers the prosecutor. They were all my lawyer guaranteed my freedom and I got sentenced to eight years now when I got locked up, my main aim was to find out how I end up there without doing anything. I had over a million dollars of real estate paid for, money in the bank. Uh, my children finished university. We were in a very comfortable, very hard-working family, very comfortable position. And I thought, no, it has to be something wrong, something they did. That I couldn't see, and for every single day for seven years, I learned every single day, Christmas, birthdays, every day. You studied. I studied. You studied law. Yes.
3: And you understand that you un, you came to understand the highest expression of law, this UCC law.
2: Yes. And what they're doing, and how they could get you in there, and how they could lie, how they commit fraud, and they all thought it was. They were all laughing when if I was found guilty, like. Well, they get paid. You see, I didn't lots of money. I didn't know at the time. And these people, I I was in the prison, and there were hundreds of women that were there that was in the same position as I was.
3: They were tricked into the system. Yes,
2: yes, they didn't do anything.
3: And then once they're in prison, they're having they're having a prison bond issued. Oh, yes. And then their prison bond is traded on the stock market, yes. making huge amounts of money. With
2: their numbers, yeah.
3: And they're relegated to becoming slave workers. Yes. And they're not, no one's told this?
2: No. They get 12 cents per day. The food that was served in the kitchen was from the Gulf War. Cans of meat and all kinds of stuff. And they said the prison is not making any money. And they're telling the people out there that the prisons are... Um, losing money and all these, these drug dealers and all these people coming into prison and we don't have enough money, that's a lie. They're, they're making make, thousands of
3: dollars a day per prisoner. I know it's at least $3,000 a day. Yes. Per prisoner.
2: Yeah, But they're making, they invest into the prison system, into Unicore. Prisons for profit. Prisons for profit. Disgusting. And, and they invest in the prisons and they make hundreds of billions of dollars. And the prisoners get 12 cents a day and the food that they feed the prisoners.
3: Not fit the dogs.
2: No, it comes from, from the farms and they get tax write-off on it. The chicken may be two, three months old and all kinds of stuff. They, they serve uh, horse meat for, for beef.
3: Well, you're about to launch an online workshop and tutorials through the North University teaching uh, UCC and explaining to people from around the world how they can navigate their um, situation, whatever their situation may be, because all of us are facing penalties and uh, cruel and unusual punishments. Punishments, Uh, But let's discuss something as mundane as a parking ticket, okay? Okay. Something everybody understands. What are the do's and don'ts? You've just gone back to your vehicle and there's a parking ticket on it.
2: Parking tickets are a contract. You do not have a contract with your council. They put a ticket on there. There's no contract, so you don't have to pay that ticket.
3: So what what are your steps?
2: You send the ticket back to them. No contract. And you tell them no contract. They have to produce a contract where you sign to say that if you park somewhere that you're not supposed to, you will have to pay the ticket. I remember someone showing me a ticket not so long ago, and the ticket had... A CEO it says CEO on the ticket and a signature.
3: CEO. Yes. Chief Executive Officer. Yes.
2: So I sent the ticket back to the CEO and I asked him when was he there at eight o'clock at night putting tickets on the cars? <laughs> it just goes to show that people do not look at their tickets either because they're not they don't know. And it's very sad because a parking ticket, why should you have to pay for parking when you own the roads? We owned it. We own everything. So
3: you've sent your parking ticket back with no contract on it. What are, what are the next steps that they're likely to take?
2: They would write to you and say, you have to pay. If you pay within a certain time, it's only half. You have to pay half of the, the fine. What's your response? My response is, I don't have to pay any. Because I don't have a contract with you.
3: So again, you ask them, show me the contract.
2: Yeah. I send them a letter. And I ask them, I said, okay... Um, the person that you addressed in this letter is spiritually dead and have no soul, which is your strongman. The strong. Yes. And I said that I had not given you permission to use it to make money. And, and there's a fine behind this of 250,000 pounds every time you use it. They refused to answer. So I sent them the following letter was a default letter. I says you're now in default for not responding. Because that's what they're going to do to you.
3: So you played law against them?
2: Yes. Good. Yes. So when I sent them that, five days later, I received a letter stating that I, the account is closed and I do not owe.
3: Very good. Thank you for that. Well, that's rather straightforward. Let's discuss mortgages, because this is the bane of most people's existence, is needing to secure their home. But everyone has the right to a home in this world. And mortgages... I mean, this, what's the etymology of mortgage
2: in the first instance? Death grip, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is uh, Mo- but the... Mortgage means death grip in French. Well, the mortgage is what they do is, is just a, a front. Because the minute you miss a payment, when you get a mortgage from the bank, they're after you. The first time you miss a payment, it goes straight into the insurance company that the mortgage company have. And they want
3: you to miss a payment. And they
2: want you to miss a payment because they don't lend you money.
3: let's go back. Your house is, let's say, worth $100,000. Now, when you apply for a mortgage, they don't have the $100,000, but you come along with your rock-black capital signature. You sign the application. They then monetize your signature by having $100,000 worth of your value discharged against your treasury bond. That money they then lend to you Uh, And they double-dip because they then get you to pay that money back plus
2: interest. What they do is they don't lend you that. They don't lend you anything. You fill up your papers and you sign. The signature is what they want. Then they tell you, okay, you have to be a good foil and you have to be a good credit and you can borrow from me. So they lend you a piece of paper that you sign with very fine writing in the back. That's where the legalese comes in because that's what they do. Then you sign it, signature. They take that and they tell you, okay, um, the funds will be ready in two to three days to come back. The following day with the signature, they go into your trust fund and they get paid the 100000 They never disclose to you that, okay, we got paid, so the house is now yours. No. They come back when you go in the third day, they've already got their money, they say to you, okay this is the agreement you pay so much every month the interest rate all that you've already signed for so now they put the 100,000 on the on the computer screen for you so you can finish your house closing now that 100,000 is just numbers it is not money because they all own the banks so there's no money pass no cash just paper but they have your 100,000 already If you don't pay, they take the house. They don't want nothing. They want the property because the money is just paper. It has no value. So the property has value, so they take the property.
3: So let's talk about allodium title. What is allodium title? Why is it so important?
2: Okay, allodium title is important because you do not own the land. They tell you it's freehold, but it's not freehold. The land is owned by the crown. All the land in England. I'm
3: a farmer in Minnesota. And you're saying that my land is is owned by the Queen.
2: Yes. I'm a farmer in Mozambique. Your land is owned by the Queen. The Queen of England. the, The Queen of England. She owns all the land. So what happens is you own that piece of brick that's sitting on it that they call freehold or your house. You own that. You don't own the land. So the land, the allodium title is to own your land. So you can put a sign up and says, no trespassing, private property. When you put that sign up, you have to own the land. Because owning the house doesn't mean anything. It's the land they want. See? The bank takes the house, which is part of the crown, and the crown owns the land. That's how it works. And you don't own anything. Ever. 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 You are just a mere user.
3: You're so long as you are acting as your straw man. Now, when yeah. we reclaim ourselves from this fiction, and we do it as a people, mm-hmm. many of us do it, yeah. what then do you see? How do you see the dissolution of government, the dissolution of this behemoth, this Molochite monster that has taken over our lives, indentured us into bonded slavery, all around the world, seven billion souls owned and controlled, indentured, to a couple of hundred National Reserve banks themselves, indentured into the Bank of International Settlements, that controlled through the US Treasury, the Federal Reserve, the IFC, the IMF, the World Bank, and so on, back to the Crown of England, and behind that, the Vatican. So all of that grotesquery, that fiction... When do you see us as a people of the world reclaiming real reality from that fiction? And how is that likely to play out?
2: I think if people get to know and they come together, it doesn't take hundreds of millions. One million sovereigns get together can make a hell of a lot of difference. It's going to be like wildfire. Once people get to know the law, what they're under, and what they're doing to them, and how they're making... You see, they make things to distract you, like the news and all this fake, all this stuff, television, and this is what they do. So once people can get together, if 100 people go to the bank and all keep taking out 100 pounds, before the end of the day, the bank will close... It's very simple if people get to understand what's going on. And, and it would be good for them to know, because we need to stop this. We need to stop what they're doing to people, hurting people for no reason, making, put people in poverty.
3: And by they, we're talking about the parent corporation. The parent corporation. The yes. banks and governments yes. and justice systems all working to penalize and harvest humanity.
2: Yeah, they're in bed together, everybody. They said if they send you to the Citizens Advice Bureau, don't even bother to go because they're working too with them. Everybody they have in their pocket. And it's very sad because people will do things to other people for very little money. Are you hopeful
3: yeah. for humanity?
2: I am, very much so.
3: Bibi Backus, thank you. Yeah. I love you, <laughs> I do love you.
1: Well, there it is. Wow. Okay. Well,
0: you know, Sancha asks such pertinent, incisive questions. You know, it was a very well-conducted interview, and you know, there's so much to, to cover from this. Um, what's well, you know? What's let, me, let me let me let, so interu- right
1: let me at, let me interrupt you yeah. for a second because. I don't want to forget this. Now, she said that it's a really simple way of making the fix, and that's, you know, if people realize what the scam is and then break the banks, okay, because it's all a scam. And it made me remember something that happened from the, uh, well, let's see, what a time frame would it have been? It would have been 1970 when... I was at the University of Massachusetts. And they were doing rallies, anti, anti, uh, anti-war rallies. Right. Okay, so they got this idea, now these are college kids, but they get this idea that the vast majority of college kids have their bank accounts in the Amherst Bank. So they got them in mass to go down to the bank and take out one dollar. Uh-huh. And it was so interesting because I, I, I happened to be in the crowd. I didn't happen to have a bank account there, but I was in the crowd. And I saw CBS cameras and ABC cameras. And I'm not sure, I don't think I saw an NBC, but at least those two were there. And, uh, cameras, you know, like they were filming. So sure. So years later, I'm in the military, and I'm at a barbecue, and one of the sergeants there and I were, were chit-chatting, and he said, "You went to the University of Massachusetts." He said, "Were you there in 1970?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "By any chance, did you were you part and parcel of the uh, rallies to and the banks the, the associated with taking the money out of the bank?" And I said, "Yes." And I'm looking at him like, "Who, who the hell? What is this about?" You know. And yeah. My job at that time was with the sig- Signal Security Agency. And what those people did was they monitored telephone communications. Remember we're talking in the 70s, we're not talking internet or any of that. So you're you're monitoring, you know, hardwired communications. Um and they were monitoring everything that was happening, but on top of that they were also monitoring any all the radio communications by apparently quite a number of let's say police undercover police but what what I found so absolutely unbelievably ass-kicking was the fact that he said and you saw the cameras and I saw I I, I said yeah I saw two he said well all three of them were there he said there was no film in the cameras huh
0: so what was the purpose
1: purpose was to make the people think that they were being that's what they wanted they wanted to be on big time television to tell people you know there's a terrible thing happening here and we're trying to get your attention and so they went in looking like they were covering it but there was no film but most kids weren't listening to the to the television so it wouldn't have gotten out that hey listen I listened to CBS, ABC, and NBC, and there was no coverage of what we did, even though those cameras were here, there, and right. they're doing the same thing to us now. <laughs> okay, well, how's it playing out now? How do
0: you see the same scenario playing out now?
1: Well the the, the mass media, the you know mainstream media, is not covering stories like that. You know um, that that you actually okay. Let's let's take the um, Hunter Biden thing when that all came out with the, with that uh, computer of his. Okay, right or wrong or true or not. You know, the response was astounding because all, the all of the except for Fox and only part of Fox in uh, the alternatives uh, looked at it and said, "Oh my gosh, look at this has got a lot of you know seemingly a lot of truth to it." You know, it, it looks like this is substantial. Oh, no, no, they they put it down, they put it down, they put it down. And still the information was getting out there. So then they started censoring people. They stopped right. the coverage, just like they did back in the 70s. They stopped the coverage. But the people who, you know, are trying to get through at that time, they didn't really realize it because nobody had that. We didn't have the mask. You weren't looking at the television if you were a college student. Heck, there was probably one television in a dorm. So yeah. Nobody, nobody was yeah. watching the news, you know. So they wouldn't have picked up on that. And certainly if some of them did, how would they get the attention of everybody else? So it's, a, it's the same kind of scenario. Keep us in the dark.
0: Well, and they sure wouldn't want to have mass coverage of an event like a uh, B.B. is describing here of, you know, go out to the bank and each take out 100 pounds, she's in the UK, in cash, and, you know, the bank will have to close. Uh, that, I mean, that is one of those things that is, you know, it's, it's a hot button, no way, <laughs> you know, is mainstream going to cover a story like that. It's like that you probably heard this about, uh, you know, Papa Bush sitting down with the prominent woman, correspondent in the press room, I want to say her name was Dorothy, I could be wrong, but she'd, you know, always be asking the slightly out of left field question, you know, in the press conferences and, you know, he smiles, you know, patriarchically and indulgently. He says, oh, yes, Dorothy. what?" Well, he sits down with her and because he doesn't take her seriously and because she's a woman, he says something like, you know, talking about the banking system. And, you know, how much of it is actually backed by anything, you know, and of course, it's absurd, the fractional, you know, um, backing of it. it's it's all fictitious money. And and so Papa Bush just says to her, oh, Dorothy, you know, if the people knew what we really do, they would string us up from the nearest lamppost. (laughs) Now, he wouldn't say that to Dan Rather, would he? But, you know, he was just being, you know, patriarchal and and. not taking her seriously, but you know this is what you're describing. If they do what Bibi, you know, if enough people do what, what um, this, you know, brave woman uh, Bibi Bacchus, is is suggesting, you know, that could provoke uh, a banking crisis for sure. So I want I want to ask you know what she describes because when Sasha asks her, hey, what about a parking ticket? And she says, "Okay, you write back and say, show me the contract. And then they send you this. And then you say, "Okay, Mr. CEO, um, when were you there? You know, at 8 p.m. at this parking meter and show me the contract. And two or three steps and, you know, bada bing, bada boom. They say no account. You don't have to pay anything. Well, that can be, you know, from, from what I've heard and learned over the years, a very risky thing. To just you know, hey, this is going out with Sasha Stone and Bibi, and they're doing good work exposing all this. She gives the three or four step process. Well, you know, maybe it'll play out that way, and maybe you'll come back and find your car booted. You know, maybe you'll come back and find it. You know, you're being they'll they'll take it further. You know that that, because I know people who have applied this kind of thing without knowing the full picture uh, of what can happen, and say, okay. If you want to just do a cost benefit analysis here, okay, you're going to pay a $50 parking ticket and you are participating in their ownership of your straw man and this whole Hannah system. And what is going to be your best move, you know, to reclaim your straw man, this, you know, fictitious representation and, you know, bastardization of your soul into this? Non-entity that they can make money off of. What's your best way? Is it you know fighting a parking ticket and then ending up having your 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 car impounded? Because you know there's a real good chance that that could be the result. So I'm you know I'm really on board with understanding the UCC, understanding how to reclaim your straw man, and I know per people personally, you know friends of mine. Who have said, "Oh, I've discovered this great you know reclaiming my sovereign status and, and I'm sending this to the IRS, and you know and then they end up with huge penalties, and they're just you really have to know what you're doing here, so um, you know I, I just urge people to to caution around thinking, "Oh hey, I've got a three four-step process, and I don't have to pay parking tickets. It's a very tricky little path to go down, you well, know what I, I mean I,
1: I think that, I think that the problem here. Okay, is that the other side doesn't play by the rules. So yes, technically to fight the sovereign question in the way that is being suggested um, is dangerous because you're making an assumption that's a dangerous assumption and that's that now that you know the rules, the other guys aren't going to change them and just disregard you. Right. That's it's that's what I that's why I don't I wouldn't recommend anybody going in and act in that and it's not a it's not a matter of courage. It's a matter of looking at the game board and saying, Well this game is damn fixed. And so yeah. and I'll tell you why. Because when Bill Brockbrader was in the situation of being in a federal court the first thing, because it's it's Admiralty Court, and it was really um, a development of the empire. And what would happen is that ships would come to a port, and the ship's merchant's merchandise had been hurt, and the store owner didn't want to take it. And so there's nobody there to arbitrate, because you got two countries, essentially, the ship under one flag and the merchant under another. So Admiralty Law was developed in order to um uh, be able to uh, you know judge these disputes, but in order for it to work, each of the people had to agree to stand before the court in the decision of the court, but right. that basically was the only way you were going to get through this so when you go into a court of law and they give you this you know you are charged with blah 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 blah, blah, blah. do you understand? If you say, Mm -hmm. no, I do not understand, what you're saying is I will not stand before this, quote, court. Right. Okay? And that, if if you can maintain that position, they cannot try you. You have to agree. But, you know, everybody thinks it's blah, 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 you know. Okay, so Bill knows this. And so he pulls that card out. Yeah. The judge that he's dealing with has a, a book that's 212 pages. I know this because I have a copy of it, and in there, it's like every legal maneuver a sovereign being would try to make. The judge has a tricky way of getting around it, so you would have to master that book. Plus, you know, probably secret things or that we none of us know. Well, this in this case, this is sort of one of them. Um, so he kept saying, no, I do not understand. No, I do not understand. So the court couldn't even start. So they do this, like, for three days, and they come, uh, two days, and then the third day he comes back, and they said something to him, and he said, yes, I think I understand. Boom. Okay? Now, the reason uh-huh. being is that what he didn't realize is that they had dismissed the case from the first two days. And the second one was a new case. And he wasn't focused on the never say, I understand.
0: Okay, well, we're coming right up on the hour here. And and that goes to a question I'd love to raise, you know, when we come back from the break. Um, This whole thing of the defrauding from birth is based on what is clearly in legal terms called an unconscionable contract. And um, it sounds like that's what was done to Bill Brockbrader. You know, if there's not, um, if there's a huge disparity in advantage and understanding, he didn't know. He was not let to know what he did when he said, I think I understand. And just like, you know, an infant is at the biggest disadvantage possible when this living soul in a human body is. You know, changed into a a corporate fiction for profit. Anyway, it's eleven o'clock here. At Radio Five G. We're gonna take our little four or five minute break. What are, what are we got lined up for good disturbance music? Disturbance
1: yes. is the only one we can use. Here oh yeah, today. Let's disturbance. Not be silent. Not be silent.
0: <laughs> the silence. Here we go. See you soon.
1: That was Disturbance singing "The Sounds of Silence," which was written by uh, Simon Garfunkel back before the 60s in the late 60s I mean the late 60s not the 70s and uh, actually the
0: 64
1: 64 yep yeah, that's right and I just find that every time I listen to those words it's even more poignant than the last time you know it's, yeah. like, it, it's, uh, it's an amazing song so for those people that aren't hearing it on this recording uh, look it up you know Sounds of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel, but yeah, distur- Paul Simon, Paul Simon yeah. wrote it. Yeah, yeah. But the disturbance presentation of it is uh, very rich. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah,
0: it's awesome. I love that. You know, and I love their name, Disturbance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, I was actually part of this whole system that Bibi and Sanjay are describing, in so far as I had a securities license for a couple of years, and um, and part of the sales. Techniques that we were taught job one when you're sitting down with middle-class family trying to sell them a variable universal life policy with uh you know some uh, <clears throat> mutual funds attached you got to disturb them <laughs> disturbance is job one you have to scare people out of their complacency and say you know Hey, you're looking at your retirement. IRS is going to take it all. You're looking at your family. If you don't have insurance, they're going to be up Crap Creek without a paddle, etc. Do you realize, right? Yeah. So that's that was job one: disturb the client. So I I got to hand it to disturbance because this is the highest level of really authentically called for disturbance for us to wake up and not accept the sounds of silence. As our human birthright, but rather, all right. What I love about it is, you know, here's this magnificent rock, baritone tenor, you know, raw delivery of this. And um, it's a song about the sounds of silence. It, the song itself is a revolution by breaking the silence. So I love it. Hands off to you. Hats off to you. Um, disturbance so um, yeah getting back back to what Bibi and and Sasha are are exploring here you know I I first learned about this birth certificate scam uh, back around 2012 2013 and um, you know when I was doing some writing for you know about the global collateral accounts and I was in Indonesia um, doing some writing um, on the work of Neil Keenan and the Keenan Group. Can I and interrupt? Then,
1: you? Can I interrupt sure. you just a second? The global, what did you just say? The global
0: collateral account.
1: Okay. What do you, What do you mean by that? I've heard that term so many times, and I'm not sure i understand. Well, I know I don't understand it. Can you give me a What is that?
0: <laughs> sure. Well, if you know, it's funny because if you do a a Google search. Or hey, let's not use the verb Google because since they're a nasty big tech corporation, if you do an internet search, I personally recommend ecosia.org, E-C-O-S-I-A.org, real good search engine, and they plant a tree for every search you do, and they're not censored like Google is. Anyway, so you do a search on global collateral accounts, and chances are one of the first five hits that'll come up is um, an explanation of the Global Collateral Accounts uh, by Michael Henry Dunn. C'est moi. That's me from back in the day. Anyway, so I'll try to give a thumbnail. So um, in 1944, there's the Bretton Woods Conference to set up the post-war financial system. You familiar with that, Nancy?
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: Yeah, okay. So, So basically, you know, the Allies are going, okay, you know, D-Day's happened, we're going to win this thing. War in the Pacific's going well, we're going to win this thing. And let's look at how a lot of economic factors played into, you know, the the origin of the war. Well, you know, the war was set up by the usual suspects. Um, you know, the central banking families um, they funded the Japanese Empire starting in 1923 and you know, they they played both sides like they usually do because they wanted the gold. But anyway, so at the Bretton Woods conference, um, you know the Bank of International Settlements already existed um, when the U.S. was broke during the depression, and you know they had to um, take all the gold, uh, put it all in Fort Knox, and European bankers said, "Okay, America, you're broke. We'll lend you money, but hey, here's the deal: um, all of your citizens from birth are going to have to be security against the repayment. So every single human being." Born in the United States, will you know become a security um, for their tax ability for the duration of their lifetimes, and that's you know the big part of when this started to get up and running. This whole deal that Sasha and Bibi are describing. Anyway, um, so World War II, um, especially let's take the Pacific, the Japanese Empire, or the um, Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere as they liked to call it, it was all about the gold. It was all about where's the gold and how do we put it all in one place and take control of it because that was the ultimate necessity for central banking family control of, of the planet. And so for many centuries, gold flowed east from the Spanish Empire uh, South America, you know, really starting with the Romans, you know, the wealth of the East was exchanged for gold. You know, the Chinese ruling classes, the, em- the emperors and the merchants, they all they wanted payment in gold. So a lot of gold ended up in in China. There you get Operation Golden Lily, which the the crown prince, the brother of Hirohito, Emperor Hirohito, um, was in charge of, and so for um about 10 years at least in advance of their invasion of China and um, and the expansion of the Japanese Empire, they were systematically finding out where the gold is and what parts of Asia, who controls it, who will have to arrest, who will we have to torture as soon as we occupy a country, how do we get the gold and, and most systematically and most quickly because that's the point of the war. That was the mandate they were given in a meeting in London in 1923 with, with the bankers when they were funded. So, so all this gold, long story short, they do a really good job as, you know, they're massacring and invading countries and torturing people and getting the gold. Um, they build bunkers and tunnels um, throughout Indonesia specifically, to some degree in the Philippines during Japanese occupation and massive, trillions upon trillions of dollars worth of gold ends up in these bunkers and tunnels as they begin to lose the war they certainly don't want it in mainland japan you know where the allies will take it if they successfully invade after the war macarthur and friends discover a lot of gold They go holy toledo look at this what do we do with this well the story goes that um in the post-war new financial system for the planet And, of course, a lot of gold was similarly taken by the Nazis. Eisenhower also, you know, that was a story, a news story at the time. Look at these vast troves of gold along with all the art stuck in these salt mines in Germany. Um, So there's a lot more publicity about that gold, the Nazi gold. Um, There's less around the gold in, in Asia, which was the... You know, that was a hugely greater amount of gold, trillions. And so the president of Indonesia, when we come to 1947, Indonesia successfully fights off the Netherlands' attempt to reestablish their empire in Indonesia. They become an independent country. Uh, President Sukarno is the father of his country. He's sort of the George Washington of his country. And he is appointed what is called M1 or monetary controller of the global collateral accounts, which are all these assets hidden in 93, possibly more bunkers and tunnels throughout Indonesia. And the idea, the humanitarian idea, was that these assets were to serve as the underpinning, the collateral of the new global financial system and that they were to be used for the rebuilding of the war-torn world right well some of it was used to rebuild the financial centers used to rebuild tokyo hong kong shanghai but of course the usual suspects were intending all along to get their hands on the gold and to use it for their purposes now the story goes you got jfk he comes in um in 1961 he's joe kennedy's boy he's a you know wall street family And uh, the banking cabal thinks they've got their guy in office. Well, Papa Joe has a stroke. JFK starts to see the real picture of what's going on. And he makes a deal with Zucarno to borrow funds from the collateral accounts to back silver certificates, Kennedy dollars, because he saw what the deal was, saw what the Fed was about, saw what the CIA was doing. And, um, you know, this was part of the reason why Kennedy was taken out, because he was trying to return the treasury to the American people as mandated by the Constitution, instead of having it be defrauded by the central banking families, the Fed, etc. So, um, you know, the global and a lot of this was covered by David Wilcock uh, in his series in in 2012 on um, um, taking down financial tyranny, and a lot of that was focused on the trillion dollar lawsuit filed by Neil Keenan against major cabal entities such as the fed um and and other entities including um uh, the alphabet names of these are escaping me at the moment but i ended up going i ended up writing the preface to the trillion dollar lawsuit for the federal court in new york that it was um filed with at that time so that's how i did all this research at that time back in 2012 2013 I created a video called "Changing of the Guard," which got a lot of play, which was described this whole story. So that's, the, I mean, it's kind of a, an important background to what Sasha and Bibi are talking about. Uh, and since you asked, Nancy, you know, I've, I've done my best to get my thumbnail sketch here. You know, as to what's happening with the collateral accounts now, trillion-dollar lawsuit didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, they switched out the judge. The Obama administration switched out the judge in the Keenan suit. We tried to create a new International Court of Human Rights that would have uh, enforcement and jurisdiction. That was a five-year project uh, that I uh, gave my life to, um, which, uh, well, let's just say it got co-opted, as you might expect, uh, in the summer of 2018. So, and there was also, you know, an attempt to use the restored Order of the Knights Templar as a um, nation-state subject of international law um, to have. An intergovernmental organization created that could be the host institution for the New International Court of Human Rights, et cetera, et cetera. It's a long story. But that's the thumbnail sketch. You know, the collateral accounts, um, the assets are real. They're in the bunkers and tunnels. They've been guarded by elders of various tribes throughout the Indonesian archipelago um, all these many years. It's a big, long, fascinating story. But um, I wouldn't look for the global collateral accounts to be freed as we were trying to do. The benefit of humanity anytime soon. Um, uh, you know, and, and wealth, true human wealth, goes way beyond yellow metal. It's, yeah, gold has a vibrational importance. It has obviously a practical importance. It is, you know, where everybody goes in times of trouble, go to gold. Um, but that whole story to me ultimately buys into the system of control that Sasha and Bibi are describing here. You know, our true wealth, our true sovereign wealth. Goes way beyond this useful yellow metal. Anyway, that's my thumbnail. I hope it was helpful.
1: Oh, I appreciate that so much. Yes, thank you very much. Do you remember where you were when I interrupted you?
0: Yeah, well, we were talking about an unconscionable contract. You're a baby, and you know your parents um, unwittingly sign a birth certificate, which is then changed into all caps block letters, and it's a security done without your knowledge. Or your parents' knowledge of what contract they just entered into, by definition, that is an unconscionable and therefore invalid contract. And I brought it up. Uh, I can. I can read. It. Here's what uh, LegalMatch.com says: an unconscionable contract is one that is so one-sided that it is unfair to one party and therefore unenforceable under law. Type of contract that leaves one party with no real meaningful choice, usually due to major differences in bargaining power between the parties. Well, you know, as an infant, you ain't got no bargaining power and and neither do your parents because they're just going, oh, well, the county just wants us to sign this so that, you know, our, our boy, our little boy, you know, will be officially registered so we can open a bank account, blah, 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 right? But well, in meantime, let, let's just stop here for a
1: second because this is such sure. a you know important thing just to understand is that the birth certificate is sent to the state the state sends it to the feds okay the feds send well, it to the world bank and that's collateral it says we just had another birth and that's going to they're going to pay x number of dollars in in taxes so that is part of our collateral they are we are we are being sold essentially right you know you you just sold your baby and that's another uh, w- because once you've done that once you've m- entered into that contract you've entered into it not only with the federal government the state government too and that's why people lose their children to the state wow yeah i mean that is the
0: thing that you know just so blows my mind that you know the state has managed to empower itself to you know, seize children from families. Now, okay, you know, when there is clear abuse going on, you know, when when there is some, you know, completely unacceptable, torturous abuse going on of a child, there has to be some means for the community to step in and say, this is unacceptable, you can't do this. But for the state and, and, you know, the federal government or or the crown in the UK or whatever, you know, children are being taken from families under really specious, you know, bogus means. And it's because, again, we entered into an unconscionable contract giving the state control over children with this birth certificate security thing.
1: Yes, it's very sobering,
0: yeah, because so, think
1: of it in, in essence, okay, all of us trumpers, well, not you, but, but all of us trumpers, you know, under that law, the state uh, you know, a given state could take all all your children. You are crazy people, we're going to take your children, and there's not a legal thing that you can do about it I, that, That's the most right. extreme example I can give yeah, and
0: you know, I mean I'm, I'm an American patriot. I, I don't identify with one particular politician or another. You know, I'm an American patriot. That's, that's my identity. And, you know, going beyond Trump, what you're describing happening, oh, well, you are a danger to society. We might even use the T word with you, terrorist, because you are against vaccines. You are against mandatory vaccines. You are trying to assert sovereign power over your health and that of your children and therefore you are a danger to society and therefore um you know this camp or that or this you know you won't be able to travel you won't be able to you know receive covid relief payments you will et etc cetera, etc cetera, because you are by definition because you are championing the kind of essential human sovereignty that Bibi and sasha are discussing that we're discussing here you know, this, this goes way beyond any one politician. Politicians come and go, live and die. You know, on we go. This is about a timeless human value to our souls. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what, what, you know, it's kind of a worst case scenario about what's coming. And uh, I try to avoid giving too much energy to worst case scenarios because then you tend to um, bring them about, you know, you know quantum reality. Um, well, but yeah, we you know, w- we, what got we've know got, what,
1: what, we got to know what's real. The, the, yeah, and that's 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 what it is. Is that okay? So we're presenting this, uh, you know, the the details of how they have come to be able to get such control. And as you were describing what was ahead, it reminded me of this Chinese guy that's, that was saying, you know, it was uh, some professor that stood up and said all these things that just kind of like said what the communist party wants to do right and they he said you know those americans they have a different way of looking at things they think the individual is important and we think it's the the group is important society so it's like a fundamental difference between you know looking at realities
0: yeah it's very true you know in terms of the Asian perspective, generally speaking, culturally, you know, Megan, okay, there's obviously a huge variety of cultures within Asia, but there is, you know, they are consensus-oriented, they are group-oriented, group you know, and and America, you know, w- we are descended from, from people who were looking to escape from central control, es- escape, you know, in order to practice freedom of religion, and you have this really... And then then you have the powerful influence, even though it's largely unconscious, the powerful influence of Native American um, identity and tradition and understanding of – like there are a lot of Native American languages that do not have a word equivalent to the English word us or we because they would not presume to speak for another human soul. Is they can say you and I or your people and my people, but there is no word where one human being is presuming to speak for the sovereign expression of another. And so there's this, you know, rugged individualism. A lot of it has to do with the pioneers who came over. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way, you know, the American spirit and character absorbed, you know, the the, the powerful reality of of tribal traditions and tribal understanding. Um, I mean, it's ironic because, of course, you know, know, colonizing and, you know, genociding um, the tribes as as we were. You know, the American, the U.S. Constitution was very much influenced by the Iroquois um, Confederation. Um, So it's, yeah, it's this blend, but you're so right, Nancy. You know, it is, as Americans, we look to the rights of the individual as being supreme. And in Asia, they tend to look to like, well you know it's it's consensus it's the group and you know you don't um, buck the group easily in those countries
1: and and that expands into their concept of you know one world order one one way of thinking one 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 one, one no, no because boy man they're limiting god aren't they yeah, you know, so it's much. like there's only one version of God. If we're all God's creations, then you know, well, I I bow down to the to the variety of of creations. You look at nature and you see all these amazing, you know, so all the fish, the different types of fish and insects, and uh, there's so much creation, 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 creation. And what they're asking us to do is to stop living.
0: Yeah, it's this, you know, if you understand the word collectivism, it's a really important word, you know, because collectivism, if you go to Soviet Union, Communist China, Marx and Engels and Lenin and all those guys, it's, you know, okay, comrade, you know, this is for the greater good of the people that you, you know, we are all together, right? Okay, well, just read Orwell, just read, you know, Animal Farm. George Orwell. okay you know the the farm animals overthrow the farmer who leads them to slaughter right and then you know we, they have this declaration they put up on the barn wall all animals are created equal right and then of course then you need to have a committee of animals who are in charge and then some of the animals start to think ah, oh, well i think we need a little bit more than some of these other animals and before you know it the power structure has reasserted itself. And then one day there's a little interpolation on the declaration on the barn wall. And instead of all animals are created equal, it says all animals are created equal, but some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> right? So collectivism, hey, it's all for the greater good of the collective, is just a moral fig leaf a BS facade over the usual seizure of power by the usual suspects for their advantage, their gratification, their power over others. It is, you know, it's the going back to the collateral accounts. You go back to Adam Smith and the wealth of nations, the whole idea that they, you know, Hirohito after the war said, yes, it was such a pity that the war was necessary. According to the logic of the London bankers in 1923, you told them, look, all these terrible wars that happen, what are they for? They're for gold. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just assemble all the gold in one place under one system where the really wise people, namely us, the bankers, could be controlling it for the ultimate benefit of humanity? What's that last phrase? The ultimate benefit of humanity? Sorry, no, it is for the specific benefit of an elite class according to their values and their understanding of the way the world works which is gratification of self at the expense of others and so it's an endless you know struggle to try to balance these two things you know between okay we can help our neighbors you know we can um you know hey pay some taxes we all want some good healthcare hey you know we need to have a good um, you know, constable force, not a police force, uh, corporate police, as they're talking about here. But once it gets to, hey, for the greater good of all, you need to sacrifice your freedoms. For the greater good of all, you need to do what we're telling you. And this is where you know the far left in the U.S., in 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 my opinion, and and you know that of a lot of other people are buying into the collectivist BS, are buying into, you know, a a surrender of freedoms. Um, And there's a middle ground, which is where most, you know, a good part of Americans historically since the New Deal have seen the middle ground. Hey, we don't want government interfering in our lives. We don't pay pay enough taxes to, you know, have some 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 basic things provided for. So finding that middle ground again, when we're all at each other's throats and everything's so polarized, it's going to be tough. But I'd like to believe we can get back there, you know.
1: That was extremely well said. <laughs> thank you for well, that. Thank you. Yeah, um yes, I totally agree with you. I mean, I I think that well, I I believe in the power of mind. I believe that, you know, our connection to the God source, God, you we know, we were created in the image of God. Well, if God creates, you know, God that that's what, what God does. God creates. And so we have to assume that we are co-creators. And that we are doing our part for our particular scenario, our story, our place in the universe. And <clears throat> I mean, it's probably a way that God is, is, you know, if we put a human kind of touch to it, that God is entertaining him herself. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Hilarious. What if we what if we did this over here and you know let's see how that plays out, you know. I mean for all I know that's that could be what what life is. However, all I'm concerned about is my own little story here and doing the yeah. best job I can do to be the best ex, you know example of a, a creation that's connected to God. You know, yes, I openly talk to all sorts of spirits, you know? Now, if I didn't have the imagination to be able to do that, I probably, I'm sure I couldn't do that. So everything begins yeah. with imagination. And when you've got, you're seeing a storyline like Sasha's presenting with all of his work, and also Bibi, um, you've got a feeling of, okay, that is one reality. And it's the one that everybody is, not everybody, but a good portion of people are stuck in. So it's like, oh, okay, that's, interesting. that's an interesting story. But we can just, just disregard its effects over us because we can break the contract. And that's, yeah. that's what the real basic point of all of this is, is to understand the contracts. We have continual contracts that we've been either forced to make or somebody's made them for us. and it starts with baptism you know your your parents go in there and you know you're being baptized you're making a contract with the church and you really didn't have anything to say about it but it is a spiritual contract then we have the kind where you say oh something is always going wrong well you just made a contract with the universe you made a statement the universe will make that real for you. Mm. So what what I what I'm suggesting here is that we really have to begin to engage our imagination and to understand that it's our imagination that allows for us to build something out of the box, to think out of the box. So what we, when we look at this stuff, and you know I do it on a lot of my shows, we get really intensely into this, but by looking at it, you are understanding the difference between good and evil, which seems to be the, yeah. the point here. If you don't see this evil and you know really in kind of insane stupidity, you know, from my vantage point, then you aren't understanding the subtle differences between good and evil. And I do, I do believe that's what we're we're trying to learn here.
0: Yeah, and you know when when um, BB was talking on this show, we just heard about the difference between a constable, who's like a keeper of the peace, and um, a policeman or a woman who, you know, is essentially a police on behalf of the the corporate police. You know, they are they are enforcing. Um, this whole structure. Now, now here in Colorado, southern Colorado in the San Luis Valley, I am a, a member of our local Peace Patrol. Now, it just so happens I live in a really sparsely populated county, which pleases me a lot. You know, when I think about my friends in the big cities, what they're going through right now, you know, i got friends in L.A., New York and, you know, in Portland, Seattle, all this. Wow. I, I am so glad not to be, you know, w- w- there w- with everything that's coming down. So, I mean, this is a very sparsely populated county. I'm looking out my window right this second at an expanse of land with, you know, mountain ranges between it that is larger than the state of Rhode Island and most of it is like one county. And it's very sparsely populated, which means it has a very small tax base, which means that the sheriff and his couple of deputies, Kate can't get to you. If there's somebody, you know, breaking down your door in the middle of the night, you know, you call 911, and well, the sheriff is like an hour away. So some, you know, good concerned local citizens said, OK, um, let's form a peace patrol. We'll be in touch with the sheriff. We'll like say, OK, this is what we're, we're doing here. Uh, we just want to be able to take care of our neighbors and we want to keep an eye on things. And we've got a couple of like former law enforcement officers with good experience uh, who are licensed to carry and who are also trained in, in how to de-escalate. A situation how to you know increase peace we're a peace patrol you know so we're keeping an eye on the campground so there aren't like you know people lighting fires that could send the whole place up in flames or you know if there's a domestic violence thing going on hey you know we might come in with backup and but call 911 first we're not the cops call the sheriff first we're just backup we're community support but given that the sheriff is an hour away if, it, if push comes to shove, we will put ourselves in harm's way to protect you, our fellow citizen, our neighbor, you know, from harm. And it's really about, you know, the name Peace Patrol is what we do. This is about keeping the peace. And we tell people, hey, we're not the cops. We're not interested in knowing about what you're doing in the privacy of your home, you know, uh, or what recreational drugs you use or don't use or, you know, what corporate law you may be breaking that's none of our business we're just trying to keep everybody safe and um you know if like there's a domestic abuse situation and the guy is going to move out and it's a highly volatile situation you know say the the woman calls us up and says hey could you be there we'll be there and we'll go hey brother to the guy you know let, let us help you out it's not about demonizing people it's about de-escalating essentially you know it's this organic expression of the, of what Bibi's describing here of, you know, this is an organic expression of us as, as sovereign human souls in a community saying, Hey, I don't care who you support politically. You know, we're just here to look out for each other. I know you're a good person. And, um, and we, we keep an eye on, on potential troublemakers or people who are deeply troubled or people with big anger issues. And they are, you know, we've been able to de-escalate a lot of situations um, and prevent bad stuff from happening. And we've you know, interacted closely with the, with the sheriff and with you know, the local municipalities. It's a pretty cool thing. And, and we'd love to see more of this kind of thing happening you know, because it's, it's not like we're telling the corporate police, hey, you're just an enforcement for a corrupt corporation and, and we've got our own. No, you know, these are good people, we're interacting with them, but we're establishing and, and you know, manifesting this natural, organic, um, constable, keeper of the peace role. And, and I think it's a pretty good model. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this kind of thing is happening around the country. Um, and it, it's encouraging. It really makes me um, hopeful for what can happen.
1: It's always got to be at the the local level. Right. And I've lived in the same place for over 30 years. And I do know my neighbors, but I know only my neighbors, you know, who are directly associated with me. And so we had a zoning problem, and it was going to require us to go door to door to the rest of the neighborhood. And so I had an, another woman with me and we went and we went into this even though it was my own neighborhood it was foreign to me and I mean foreign by there was a lot of 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 black people in there from all you know the islands and and South America and you know all, all you know very few white people actually but you know it was just like I really had never met my neighbors before and predominantly when you would go up to the to the door and, and they would open it, or sometimes not open the door, you'd have to talk to them through the door, there was apprehension and fear. Um, but we'd, we, I'd just start talking. Well, we're your neighbors, and we've got a, a problem in this property. They want to do blah, 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 and we just need to um, get your signature on a petition to stop this. And once they knew it was neighbors... Then they would open the door. And I remember this one woman, she was so terrified. And so I said, all right, I'm just going to leave this paperwork here, you know, and call us if you want to talk. And I'm walking away, and she opens the door, and she says, well, now, wait a minute. And so she goes, she signs it. Then she took us to the next neighbor. So we went through this entire neighborhood, and I can tell you that it was such an uplifting experience because... There was no bad people in my neighborhood. Nobody shut the door on us. Nobody cursed at us. Everybody, once they realized who we were, were were gracious in opening their doors to us. But we don't do that unless there's this, you know, situation. And we won that case, and the the uh, zoning code enforcement people, uh, the board there, they actually said. They wanted to know what was the name of our organization, and we said, we don't have a name. And they said, well, how did you do this? We just went to our neighbors and talked to them, and they were like, we have never seen such an amazingly effective presentation, especially when there was no organization. But that's how it worked. And we had, you know, when we'd go there, we'd have, you know, a dozen people or so representing everybody else. And we got, you know, I don't know, 300 signatures of the neighbor uh, in that surrounding area. So it can be done. And it, you know, but if you don't have a reason to talk to people, you don't do it. In your case, you've got a reason that and you can talk to each other and you can fix it. And that's what we have to start looking at is what problems can we fix in our own house our own neighborhood and stop really focusing on what you think you you can't do anything about what's happening right now it's happening
0: yeah and i bring something to mind i think you might have said in one of our earlier shows way back um but if you want to cripple a movement found an organization you know that okay i mean that's an oversimplification because I mean, we're dealing with that in the Peace Patrol right now. It's like, okay, we don't have a de facto, we don't have a you know a titular leader who is like the chief, right? We've got a couple of authentic, you know, two or three spiritual leaders who don't claim the title, um, who are inspiring and they're experienced and they're skillful. We got a 23-year veteran of you know uh, a police detective, retired police detective. Um, and, you know, a couple other guys who are, you know, skilled and got the background, but we don't yet have an organization such that, oh, he's the chief. Oh, look, he's allocated. This guy as a deputy. We're just a peace patrol. We're not the cops. But, you know, and then you start to get politics and you start to get, you know, so we want to f- somehow keep it just organized enough so we can do our peace patrol thing, you know, and not have it. Um, you know, get too complicated. Um, so we'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But so far, it's it's a lot of good that's happening. And, you know, it's about outreach and letting them know, hey, we're not vigilantes, you know, we're not trying to replace the the existing law enforcement. We're working with them. We're just your neighbors, you know, g- coming together to try to keep everybody safe. And yeah, you know, we'll step between you and harm's way if need be. Um, yeah, there's, you know, license to carry arms, but that is the absolute last resort. We've got ten or twelve, you know, things that we can do to de-escalate, you know. But if it if it comes to harm's way, yeah, we'll step in. You know, lethal force will be used to defend life if required. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a pretty cool thing. I'd like to see more. Yeah, like you say, it's the local level. That's what happens.
1: And, of course, they're doing their best to keep everybody afraid of their neighbor. And you have to wear masks and social distancing and all of this. So, I mean, if, if that's what, what they keep pushing, you know, you got to figure that they're really afraid that this is going to happen. That neighborhood yeah, by and- neighborhood, people are going to come together and say, you know, let's let's look at this. Let's sit down at the picnic table. We'll socially distance who have the damn masks on and let's talk about the reality of this.
0: Yeah, exactly. In fact, um, I worked closely with a guy for several years who was based in Egypt and he was there through both revolutions, right? So there was the first one in the Arab Spring when, you know, they took down Mubarak, right? And um, after the assassination of Anwar Sadat, uh, you know, when Mubarak came in, declared a state of emergency, which lasted, you know, for like 30 years. And it became a police state, corrupt, fear, you know, f- fear and control police state in Egypt and was finally overthrown in Mubarak. They were keeping people afraid of each other. Part of that whole thing with the Arab Spring in Egypt started with, you know, a false flag bombing I forget if it was like, you know, of a Coptic Christian church. And they were saying it was some Muslim terrorist group. They're trying to keep people divided. Well, the Egyptian people are, are a wise and sophisticated culture. And they saw through it. And once the Arab Spring took off, revolution, down comes Mubarak, the army sides with the people. Suddenly the police state disappeared. The apparatus to keep people in fear and afraid of each other disappeared. And my friend told me, this is what I saw happen people came out and took care of each other. Muslims protected the Christians while the Christians prayed. The Christians protected the Muslims when the Muslims prayed. Neighborhood watch groups were formed like, hey, you know what about the old lady down the road who's got the ill health? make sure she has some food? Hey, you know um, there's gangs of you know thugs trying to you know take advantage of a lawless condition. We're gonna act to protect people. And the apparatus of the fear-controlling state disappeared. The police state disappeared. The police were scared crapless, you know, because of, of – afraid that the people were going to take vengeance against them for all the abuse. So there was, see, the police state disappeared. Instead, people took care of each other. It's like Sasha and Bibi were saying here. You know, people naturally want to get along, take care of each other, you know trade stuff sell stuff make stuff have a happy life have their kids be okay you know this is our basic human instinct if we're not being made to be afraid of each other so i have a lot of hope for this kind of thing i think this is what is coming you know in 2021 there's going to be attempt to really crack down assert central control force vaccinations all this stuff and i feel like You know, the biggest benefit of the last four years has been so much has been exposed that the attempt to reassert the old order is going to completely fall apart and really enable all this decentralization, you know, local um, activism and, and, you know, nonpartisan helping each other out, you know, hey, let free enterprise flourish. But in the meantime, you know. Let's all help each other out a little bit. You know, some kind of middle road. Anyway, we'll see, but uh, that's that's my hopeful
1: thing well, let, for... Let, let me give you year. my hopeful thing, what, what fills me with hope, because what we're talking about is the control that's been going on for many, many decades, if not a century or more. And it's only gotten worse, and they're proposed future for us from, you know, all of the robotic AI, transhumanism, crapola that they have in their mind, and the depopulation of the, all of that, that stuff. Well, the problem is, is that more and more people are breaking that contract. They're seeing through it. They're breaking the contract, breaking the contract, breaking the contract. And... Some people like to call the, it the deep state, and some people like to call it the swamp. And one man got out there and he said, I'm going to clean up the swamp. And that man has just been, oh, just overcame Obama's dominance on the Gallup poll for the most admired man in the world. Donald Trump was voted by the Gallup poll. Is the guy that everybody thinks might be the guy to support. So to me, that was like, yes, there's more people Mm -hmm. aware, regardless of what you think of him. His message is that we're going to clean up the swamp. You know, and there's more and more people waking up to the fact that. I might not like that guy's personality. I may even be kind of afraid of him. But he is shaking things up. He is making moves that are draining the swamp.
0: Yeah, I, I actually agree with you on this. You know, that um, the big shakeup, where you get this loose cannon in there for four years and who can't be controlled, you know, and um, that, just so much of of the control that uh, we'll call the cabal was used to being able to exercise over the white house, regardless of which party, you know, nominally controlled it. That kind of all went out the window and, you know, determining, okay, what's fake news, what's propaganda, what's real, you know, has become really difficult. Uh, I like to think that I'm pretty good at discerning, you know, what the real story is. And, um, you know, (laughs) i just say well let's see i'm just going to stay stay with core values and you know nancy and i are doing this show and uh, i do blue star rising with reverend Maya or on the metaphysical end Uh, blue star rising the templar awakening over on youtube for those who want to check it out and you know discerning what's real has become really tough but you know when when you, with what you're describing here Nancy this is to me one of the really um positive things that makes me hopeful too about the outcome of the last 4 years you know i don't want to think about where we'd be if clinton had been elected right now as i said i don't identify myself with any one politician you know i'm i'm an american patriot and that's as far as i'm willing to go right now but um all kinds of things are possible now because so much has been exposed over the last four years that would not have been possible, um, you know, had God forbid Hillary gotten in, let alone what wars we would have been in, how many of our young men and women in uniform would have died in in some, you know, cabal prophet war. Um, so, yeah, here it comes. Twenty twenty <laughs> Can we, can we touch a little bit for a second on, on 5G and our friend Cal Washington and how, what we've seen here with, with Bibi and Sacha and, um, you know, the use of reclaiming, um, the fictitious straw man identity. And because from what I understand, you know, with what Cal, um, is, is working with, with, um, the in power, in power movement, um, really you know, plays into the same thing that there is a particular process that we can undertake that reclaims our sovereign power in a way that allows us to take these entities to court that allows us to for there to be consequences for the harm done by 5g and so you know this is what we get back to here because it's just a, you know, a scientific fact that you turn up the amperage on 5G, um, metaphorically speaking, and you induce symptoms similar, if not identical, to the virus. And, uh, you know, so that that's that's just a scientific reality that is being suppressed. So there's plenty of science out there. You don't need to buy into the conspiracy theory and be labeled, a, you know, with the dreaded T word because you're daring to, to state you know scientific fact, you can just go with the existing science that's out there on the harm of, of millimeter microwave radiation of EMF and Wi-Fi and hold these, these entities accountable and and stop your neighborhood from becoming uh, you know a hotbed of toxic um, millimeter microwave radiation from 5g. So I know we're kind we're kind of coming up on the end here do you Do you see a link here, Nancy, between what we've just heard and what Cal was sharing?
1: Well, right now, the five g question is probably the least of our concerns, simply because right now we have to put out keep our thoughts on real positive at least for the next you know few weeks, really positive. Don't get worried, don't think about doing anything, just stay into a state of balance and positivity. You know, just keep saying the words appreciation, gratitude, care, compassion, because those words, including love, but they will create that uh, connection, it creates a vibration in you, the .1 megahertz, that is the, and this is all science, medical science, that um, links the brain and the heart. They begin to sync together. And just put that energy into your own environment because you're going to be amazed at how many people will be affected by that. And it is, got to work at it. It's like everything, you've got to create a habit out of it so that it becomes a part of your life. And, you know, every time you have a, a you know, you're doing something, you kind of like get, you know, spaced out. You know, let that be what you fill the space with, oh yeah, appreciation and gratitude for all that you know is good, and put that energy out there so that the new reality that's being created will be filled with that energy
0: well that is it's that is so true and so good and so real, and is what you know I'm doing my best to um to manifest, and you know my my friends in the um community here and with sage sacred academy of global evolution um yeah that that is consciousness that's vibration it's frequency that's where change really happens and then it manifests on the outer and there's there's going to be you know a lot in the news media you know who if it bleeds it leads and they're corporate media anyway and they're selling the fear package you tune out of that and tune to the new station of appreciation and gratitude and compassion and love, you know, that's where, that's where we'll be vibrating. And then the practical solutions and the local coming together of people, you know, above, you know, political differences or this party or that, Hey, how can we help each other out? How can we um, create greater self-reliance and autonomy and, um, and peace and plenty and freedom, you know, these things that we all want, those can come to manifest from the level of frequency and vibration and where our consciousness is. And so uh, I'm so glad you said that. I, I sort of felt an obligation. Hey, we're Radio 5G. You know, some people tuned us in for that reason. And, you know, Cal is doing this beautiful work to to touch on that. When it's And it's hugely useful, all that. And it's going to manifest much more powerfully if we're keeping our minds and our hearts. If you want to call it, you know, the crown chakra and the heart chakra, if you like to speak in yoga terms, we can go with that. But in medical terms, you know, the the, the, um, harmonizing frequency between the brain and the heart centers, there's a lot of science out there on that. So amen to that. We're coming to the end of our program here.
1: Yeah, we need to say goodbye and thank you very much, all you people, for being with us. And um, you can get these in the archives, Cosmic Reality Radio. Just go down under the radio, see archives. You can get all this in archives, or you and you can also get a link to the podcast uh, station that you can get them that way too. So thank you very yeah. much for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Michael.
0: You're so welcome, Nancy. And it's a joint project of. Uh, Cosmic Reality Radio and, and what Nancy just described, and the Sacred Academy of Global Evolution. So God bless us, everyone. Have a beautiful 2021 everyone. Be safe. Be peaceful. God bless.
1: Thank you for listening. May it be. Oh, let it-